Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Kevin Eubank, who is with the Army Corps of Engineers, and we're going to be talking a lot about how to handle those Corps of Engineer locks. Before we get started officially, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage all of the loopers and other listeners out there to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. I would like to now introduce Kevin Eubank. Kevin is the supervisory park ranger for the Illinois Waterway Project, which is with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Kevin, thanks for joining me on Great Loop Radio. Absolutely. I'm glad for the opportunity. And and we appreciate you sharing some information about the locks because a lot of loopers who are on the uh, seasonal schedule are headed that way or are already there. Um, First, though, tell us a little bit about what you do for the Corps. Well, we have a visitor center that's located right next to the Starved Rock Lock and Dam, which is one of the prettiest prettiest locks on the whole country. Um, My office is there. We have a staff of park rangers here that take the time to make sure the general public knows how the locks work, why they're here, um, and why having the locks open is important to the industries and to the taxpayers in our area. Uh, we do environmental education in a lot of the local schools to teach up-and-coming adults uh, how to take care of the beautiful land we have and make sure it's there for future generations. And then we put a big emphasis on uh, teaching people how to play safely around the water. And I know a lot of our members have stopped through there, and one of our gold loopers, in fact, was there just last week, right about the same time I was coming Arriving at you as a guest from another direction, he also uh, was there at the um, the visitors center there. So thanks again for joining us. Um, so I myself have not been through the Corps of Engineer locks, which is also the case for many of our loopers as they start to hit the river system. So uh, some of these may be very novice questions, but that might be good because we know we have some boaters out there who are members and are doing the Great Loop that haven't been through these locks before. Um, so start off, you know, kind of give us an overview of the Corps of Engineer locks. I know from what I've been told, they all operate very similarly. So give us an overview of how they work. Yeah, they do operate similar, similarly. Um, of course, there are individual differences between some of them. And we've on the Illinois, we've got uh, eight locks, and we've got seven or eight different raises or drops, depending on water levels. Um, basic operation is when you get within sight of the lock, uh, they want you to call in on the radio. On the Illinois Waterway, most of them answer to Channel 14 uh, on the Marine Band. If So just call the lock and identify yourself as a pleasure boat heading downbound, uh, which is the way most of your people go, uh, and then wait for them to answer you. If you don't get an answer on 14, then switch over to 16 and try it on there. Um, depending on which lock you're at, they, they do monitor one or the other of those frequencies. Uh, just tell whoever answers the radio that you are requesting a lockage, and they will tell you what you need to do. Uh, Most of the time, you'll have to wait for a little while while they uh, get the lock ready. They will raise the water level up, open the upper gates, and then you will get a 
horn sound as well as the traffic light will change from red to green to tell you that it's time to come in. Uh, we do want you to enter at no wake speed, so make sure there's no white water coming out from behind the boat. Um, come in to wherever the lock staff directs you to, to uh, wait. Um, most of the locks will provide you a line. We'll tie it off to the handrail and drop it down to you and just ask you to hold that. The best way to do it is one at the bow, one at the stern. Uh, you know, like take a turn around a handrail or around a cleat helps you to hold it. Uh, it's not so as important going down as it is going up, but we do want you to, to hold on to that line. Uh, we do want you to have fenders out. We hate it when you scuff our concrete with the uh, fiberglass boat sides. So <laughs> put fenders out on that side for sure. And then enjoy the ride down. Uh, we we do have problems sometimes when people want to tie that line off to something, and then we drop the water 30 feet, you're left hanging on the side, so that's not a good thing either. So just uh, take a turn around one ear of a cleat or around a sturdy handrail and, and pay the line out as you go down and should be fine without any problems. Uh, once you get to the lower level of the lock, the gates will open and then the horn will sound or they'll tell you on radio or, or they'll come out and tell you it's time to go. Again, proceed out at no wake speed and once you get clear of the lock structure, Head on down river, and I look forward to the next one. Now, Kevin, uh, most of these waterways have a good bit of commercial traffic. Lots of barges and tows are um, working their way through the river system as well, and this is a vital uh, way for us to transport things in the inland rivers. So, of course, uh, we want to be patient and understanding of that. What priority do pleasure craft have in locking through amidst all of this commercial traffic? Well, the uh, recreation vessels are generally the lowest priority ones we have. Um, of course, top priority is emergency response vessels or vessels of the United States. Um, if you're up near Chicago Harbor Lock, we do have a Coast Guard unit near there, and then the Chicago Marine Police have to go through quickly sometimes. So if any of your people have gone up and are planning to go through downtown Chicago, they might encounter some of those. Uh, if you go the southern route down through T.J. O'Brien Lock and the Calumet River system, uh, that's less likely to happen. But again, uh, you know, emergency response and U.S. government vessels are the highest priority. Then commercial passenger boats, commercial fishing boats, the commercial cargo carrying boats, and then recreation craft are bottom of the list. Um, what it usually means, if there's a towboat around, you might have to wait for an hour or two for them to get clear. On the Illinois, we do make sure if there's a lot of towboat traffic around, we will lock, run three lockages of commercial traffic and then run one of recreation to get everybody through so you don't have to wait all day sometimes. And, uh, you know, we know you're out there. We know you're, you're trying to get somewhere, and we will get to you as soon as we can. Um, the, so, again, just let the lock know which way you want to go and ask them kind of how long of a wait it's going to be. Um, we do ask, once you contact the lock, you stay in the area because we've had situations somebody goes back up river and pulls into a marina and, you know, waits for an hour, and it turns out we could have got them through in 30 minutes because something with the towboat wasn't quite ready. So... Uh, we will get you through as quick as we possibly can, but it, sometimes it may take an hour, an hour and a half or so. So 
you know, I know some of our members who haven't experienced this part of the river system worry that, you know, especially because there are some areas where there are not a lot of facilities to tie up. They worry about being kind of um, held up so that long enough that they can't quite get to somewhere that they had planned to be safe overnight. Um, so it is good to hear that typically every three or so lockages, there will be one for pleasure craft. But do you have any other suggestions on um, what loopers should do to basically make sure that they're someplace safe while they're waiting um, and how to kind of stay out of the way of all those uh, toes and barges that are also sometimes waiting to lock through? Yeah. And most of the times there are mooring cells up um, above the lock as you're coming into it. And it is safe for um, recreation boats to get on the back side of those mooring cells. Uh, the tow boats have to stay in the nine foot channel so they'll be on the channel side of it. Most situations, you can get on the back side of those cells and kind of wait out of the way, and you will be fine. Um, you know, just remember, most of your loopers aren't going to be in a boat that has a nine-foot draft, so they can go into out of the just out of the channel and be fine there. Um, and again, okay. if you have any questions about it, when they call in the lock on the Marine Band radio, just ask the lock staff on hand where it would be the best place for us to wait, and they'll be happy to tell you. And on that topic of kind of, you know, communicating with the lock masters, um, is there anything that loopers can do to make that process easier, both for themselves but also for the lock masters when they do have, you know, several pleasure craft waiting? Um, you know, any advice on anything we can do to, is it better if a, a group of loopers try to arrive together um, since they're, they tend to travel a little bit in packs? Is there anything like that you can think of or suggest that might make it easier for everyone as the recreational vessels are trying to get through? Yeah, your idea was a really good one. If you have a, a group of them or a pack of them um, come in together, it really helps. It's very frustrating for the lock staff if they've got one in, and they've just closed the gates and started to drop the water level or another one calls in. So, you know, kind of check on each other, and if there's uh, possible to come in a group one morning, then go ahead and do that, and that really helps a lot. Um, you know, we will take anybody down when they show up as soon as we can, so it's not a requirement, but it definitely um, helps helps keep everybody in a good mood if, if we get a group together instead of one calling in. And uh, if you are in a group together, make arrangements just one person calls a lock. You know, if there's a group of 15 boats coming down together, one person call and say, hey, we've got a group of 15 um, recreation boats that want to come through. Uh, we do not need each one to call in individually. So, yeah, listen up on the radio when you're getting close to a lock and hear what else is going around, and, and that's helpful, too. That is great information and great advice. And for our members out there who you know are typically tied up at a marina with several other loopers at night or who are in an anchorage or no others are nearby, um, that, that's a great suggestion that perhaps you kind of organize a flotilla with, with someone designated to contact the locks. And in addition to using your radio, um, we've been putting reminders um, in our discussion forum. If you're an AGLCA member, you should have seen some of this topic. But the Meets app that AGLCA has for members will allow you to see who's close by, um, assuming that they've given permission for you to be seen. Um, but in addition to that, there's a chat feature for those of you listening who are members 
um, that would also allow you to kind of send a message out to people that may not be immediately at the same marina as you, but may be nearby and kind of share your plans for the day and what time you may be expecting to hit that first lock. So perhaps loopers can help each other out by trying to group together and making that process move a, a lot more smoothly for everyone, because we are hearing of, you know, some hour, two hour, three hour waits out there around now. Um, Wouldn't be surprised. You know, yeah. And, and if, if any of your loopers have the AIS system installed on their boat, um, mm-hmm. that one is the commercial traffic all is updated constantly on that, and you can tell where they are and what direction they're going. So that helps as well. Great point. And, and more and more loopers do have AIS aboard, so that's also a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kevin, is there any way to tell ahead of time how long to expect the wait to be? Is there any you know online resource that kind of tells you how many barges are in the queue? There is not really. Um, you know, okay. We have that information in hand, you know, in house, but we generally don't have it available to the public. Okay. So, and again, you know, just because there are 15 towboats in the queue doesn't mean you're going to be number 16 to go through. We will try to get you through on that third lock, you know, after three lockages. So um, you can get a general idea on it, but there's really no way to tell ahead of time what your wait time is going to be. Okay. And one thing that I've been hearing from some loopers who actually have been through that area last year and are um, going through there again is that it seems like the locks are moving much more slowly. So once they're in the chamber and the gate closes, it seems like they are being lowered much more slowly than they were last year. Um, Is that the case? And if so, what causes that? It could be going slower for several different reasons. Um, one reason would be if there's any boats waiting directly downstream of us. Um, they don't like to open the valves all the way and put that big flood of water down if there is a boat tied right below the lock waiting to come in. So that could be affecting things sometimes. Uh, we have had quite a few problems with the aging infrastructure of the locks that sometimes we're filling with, or draining with one valve only instead of two valves. And that, of course, can slow things down considerably as well. Um, and that, you know, we've got our repair crews out re- working on them and getting them back up to operation as soon as we can. So it could be uh, you go through this week and there's only one valve operating, and then in a couple of weeks it's been repaired and we're back to full operation. So as long as it's not anything that totally shuts the lockdown, we generally don't um, make a navigation notice on it. We just go ahead and fix it as soon as we can. So there gotcha. could be delays for those reasons. Okay. Well, that definitely makes sense. Um, and, and you mentioned the kind of the aging infrastructure of the lock system. Um, I do want to talk about that and, you know, some of the maintenance that's going on out there right now. Certainly don't want it to become a political conversation for anybody listening, because we know that that's not what boaters are interested in. Um, but we, I, I would just like to talk, you know, about the status of the maintenance and what we can expect for the rest of, of this boating season. Uh, before we get into that, I'm going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. We will be back in a minute. Curtis Stokes & Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in great loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a great loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net, email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net, or call 954 
We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Kevin Eubank with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, And, Kevin, we were just getting ready to talk a little bit about the maintenance that's going on on some of the locks. Um, Tell us a little bit about um, how that maintenance schedule works, um, how we can know what kind of maintenance is upcoming. Okay. The best place I can tell you to go is you do a – web search for the navigation information connection and if you get to that site it's operated by the rock island district of the Corps. and down the left hand side of that there's a whole list of places you can click to get information on individual locks and dams and then we have uh, something called navigation notices and those are the notices that uh, we come up with on things that people need to know about uh, as I'm looking on this now, we've got notices of locking restrictions on the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway for some reason, probably hurricane-related. Um, mm-hmm. We have notices of upcoming dredging operations where uh, where people have reported that water levels are too low and they had commercial traffic hit the bottom, uh, all kinds of information like that. So that is probably the most up-to-date place to go to get information. You can search that by states or by waterways also. So that's a great place to go. And just looking at the Illinois section now, uh, we do have a dredging crew going on on Clark Island, River Mile 215.6 in that area. Um, Some of the buoys got out of place, and we had people hit the mud flat. So Mm, we're out there getting that fixed now. Um, the LaGrange lock, um, we're installing some bulkhead slots on that one, uh, still ongoing now. So it's closed during, uh, daylight hours, basically seven in the morning until five at night until we get that work completed. Um, we had that, had that contractor stop operations a couple of days ago. We had 18 towboats lined up waiting to come through. Uh, so we delayed that contract for a few days to get that traffic moving and now we're uh, hoping to get that finished up in the next couple of weeks the uh, closure information like that we know it a couple of years ahead of time most of the time if it's a planned scheduled repair um, we we know that information because of course the federal budget we have to do it two years ahead of time Mm -hmm. so the major closures major repairs like that we know what's coming up and that information's out there Okay, so a couple of things that you kind of touched on in there that I want to come back to a little bit. Um, first of all, sure. LaGrange, because I know a lot of our members are curious about that. Um, I Last check that I had um, there was that the reopen date was supposed to be 9-15, which was pushed back a few days. I think it was er- earlier had been supposed to be 9-12. Is the 9-15 date not likely at this point? The last I heard, that was still what what we were hoping for. Okay. Um, so I, I think that one is still is still valid. Okay. And then the other question, as you mentioned, because of funding and, and um, planning for the bigger scheduled maintenance projects, there's of course never a good time to to have to close locks because they are you know 24/7, 365 operations. Um, but how is it determined? You know, what time of year, for example, that a lock might be taken down for several months for maintenance, like the situation with LaGrange. 
it has to do with scheduling the contractor a lot of times, um, and we talk with the River Carriers Association. There's a Illinois River Carriers Association that's the towboat companies, and we work with them on when it would be best to do it. Weather does come into play on it some. Uh, if we're trying to do something where the lock will be shut down, it's usually better not to do that when we're into a flood, flood stage in the early spring. Uh, of course, now we've been having floods, it seems like, 12 months out of the year. So we do a lot of prep work, and time goes into scheduling those, and so just trying to lessen the impacts on on the river carriers because we are primarily here for the commercial traffic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so whatever whatever works for them and getting our repair crews scheduled is generally when we do it with consideration okay. for the weather. And I was just kind of given a heads up by someone um, yesterday, by Waterway Guide, in fact, that there is some planned maintenance similar to what's happening at LaGrange for, I believe it was for Starbrock for next year around this time. Is that do you know whether that's going to be the case and um, when that's supposed to start? The information sheet I'm looking at that I'll be happy to send a copy of it to you is mm-hmm. showing for 2020 um, okay. closures on every lock on the Illinois waterway is going to have some restrictions and closures. Uh, I haven't seen anything talking about uh, 2018 Okay. So I, yeah, if you could will, share that document on uh, 2020, that would be very useful. Yeah, and, and actually it's 2023, too, so we're really looking ahead. Yes. Um, and, and I'll also go back uh, for those listening who are curious and, and get more information um, from Waterway Guide on the, the heads up about Starved Rock for next year and see if I can find out more about the source of that and, and what the schedule is for that. Um as you said, Kevin, you're looking several years out at this point, and I know a lot of that does have to do with funding. Um, so tell us a little bit about what the funding process is um, on the locks and, and just so people can kind of understand what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the challenge of trying to maintain the Corps of Engineer lock system. <laughs> well, the the federal budget process, we have to submit it um, about two years ahead of time, so or actually three years. We just went through our round of budgets for our fiscal year 2020, which starts in October of 2019. So we come up with what what we think is needed um, to to keep things in operation and to make improvements on it to to increase efficiency and to, and to keep make things better as much as we can. And then we send that up to our chain of command. It goes into the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, They put it all together, and the president has input on it. We come out with the proposed budget that the president presents to Congress, and then they take it and tweak it and hopefully approve something before October of 2019 so that uh, we can continue operations. Um, we have what we call a prioritization of maintenance program where we look at all of the locks across the country and they actually rank them as far as which is the in the worst shape. Uh, they look at repairs needed, estimated cost of it being repaired. They look at the amount of traffic that goes through. They look at 
all other factors looking into the what's the risk if this lock were to fail, how bad would it hurt? And based on all those computations, LaGrange came up as the priority in the whole country to work on next. And I believe Starved Rock was the next uh, one in the country that needed to be worked on on a, on a large basis. So they just getting into doing it nationwide um, mm-hmm. worked out so well for say, the Illinois Waterway, so to speak. Yes. So would you say at this point then, uh, you know, funding is adequate for maintaining the locks? Are we behind on maintenance because of lack of funding either previously or currently? We are able to maintain it as long as nothing major breaks. Uh, If something major breaks, we have to scramble and find the resources to do a major repair. Mm -hmm. Um, All of ours are in need of major overhauls. The the Illinois Waterway ones were mostly built in the 1930s, so we're far enough out that we have concerns about a lot of the equipment. A lot of it's been replaced over time. We've replaced gates. We've replaced valves. We've replaced... Uh, some of the concrete on the lock walls, so we're able to maintain it, but we're not able to make any efficiency improvements and make anything better than than the 1930s design, really. Mm-hmm. So we're maintaining it marginally. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully what we want to get into is doing more preventive maintenance and replacing things before they break. So we are looking at replacing the miter gates on several of the locks over the next couple of years. That will be what some of the short closures are for, um, putting in a new miter gate, but it takes two and a half years to get them built. So once we get the money and say, yeah, build it, then two and a half years later we get the actual product and can worry about scheduling and getting it put in. Right. So um, for those of you listening, regardless of your politics, you really should support an infrastructure bill that will um, get some of these locks some more funding to get to that preventative maintenance standpoint because it really would benefit um, not only recreational boaters, but of course um, the commercial traffic as well. But it's important for loopers to be able to get through this area for sure. Um, Kevin, before we wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked about that would be important for recreational boaters to know as they're coming through the locks? Uh, There are two things that we really encourage um, to help keep people safe. The first one is know where you are and make sure you're still well clear of the dams. A lot of our dams have high volumes of water flowing through them, and if you get too close to them, that can grab your boat and pull you through. Here at Starved Rock, several years ago in a flood, we did take about a 35-foot houseboat through a one-foot-high opening on a gate. So it was kind of hard to do anything with it after that. So stay clear of the dams. And we do recommend that people wear life jackets when they're coming through the locks especially. Uh, we would love to see you wearing them the whole trip. Understand you won't. Um, so at least get it on when you're walking through the lock, when you're locking through, because you are out moving around the deck and holding on to lines and things. So um, if something should happen, you fall overboard, we want you to be able to float so we can get you out quickly. Great advice. Um, And finally, you did give us um, a phrase to Google to get up-to-date information on the status of the locks and lots of other good information. Can you give us that one more time? Yeah, it's called the Navigation Information Connection. Okay. It's got an official government address. 
Um, one other thing interesting on there is called the bridge clearance calculator. And if any of your people are coming through with a high water situation, they can put in the current water levels and get an estimate on the bridge clearance where they're heading. So we don't have that much of a problem on the lower Illinois with 80-some uh, foot clearance. But if you're getting up in Chicago area, we've got a couple of low bridges, and that could be helpful also. Great. And I wasn't aware of that, so that's great information for others like me who did not know that that was there. So, uh, Kevin Eubank, thank you so much for sharing your time and all of this information with us. We, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Very glad to talk to you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We will be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 